0: So it's a very good thing to be thankful, isn't it? Because no one likes someone who comes across as entitled or is thankless. To be a person who is grateful and full of thanks is a character trait that is to be desired. But why do we appreciate this characteristic in others and even within ourselves? Why is to be a thankful person a good thing? Now, as I contemplated this question earlier this week, the main thing I kept coming back to was that ultimately, when we are thankful, it takes us outside of ourselves. It takes us, it takes me, out of the limelight. Because if I am thankful, it means that I'm acknowledging that I am not the center of everything, and it means that I'm acknowledging that I'm not the one who is the sovereign over myself. I'm saying that I need other people. And we appreciate this because when we exhibit thanks, we're saying that we needed help from someone else. And we're saying that we're not fully in control of the things that we do and experience. We're saying that we need help and that we appreciate those who help us. And so with this in mind, it is obvious why a huge part of the Christian way of viewing the world is a perspective of thanksgiving. Because we do not believe that we are autonomous beings, but instead we live and move and have our being because of the one who has created us. For that truth alone, we could make a case for living our lives in gratitude. The fact that we exist and we're able to live is grounds for being thankful. But there is so much more that we have to be thankful for. We have family and friends who care for us. We have homes and many other possessions. We are blessed with vocations that provide for us. And we have hobbies and activities that give us significant satisfaction. And every one of these things are not something that we have provided for ourselves, but they are from the hand of God, for he is the source of all things. And without him, none of these things would be possible, because they come to us from his mighty and benevolent hand. Well, you've likely noticed that I have mentioned only those things that are maybe in the category of God's common or ordinary grace. There are things that can be appreciated by everyone. Because as we read Holy Scripture, even those outside of God's saving grace experience the benefits of creation. The rain does in fact fall on the just and the unjust. All of these gifts from the hand of God are excellent, and they should drive us to give thanks because he's given us these great things, and he's given them to creation as a whole. But for us, as his covenant people, you and I have a greater reason to give thanks, because he has given us the gift of forgiveness of sins He has given us salvation in the Lord Jesus. We have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and we have come into the kingdom of light. And we have had our unrighteousness taken from us. And we have been given the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And because we have been united to him in his death and resurrection, we have a sure promise of eternal life. And there's even more to this truth of God's special grace Because we are united to Jesus, we are also united to one another. And so we gather here, not simply as people who have similar thoughts, not simply as people who have similar ideas. When we gather in this place, we do so as family, as those who are brought together into God's family, because we are in Christ. And just as it was with the other things I mentioned, None of these things that we are to be thankful for are a result of things that we've done. We did not earn the forgiveness of sins. It comes as a gift. Our salvation from sin, death, hell, and the devil is not a reality for us because we've done something special or because we're smarter than anyone else. Instead, it is a part of who we are because we have heard the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, quickened faith in our hearts to believe the truth of the gospel. And you and I did not contribute anything to our salvation other than the sin that made it necessary for us to be saved. What amazing, What an amazing reason for us to give thanks to God. This is why the Christian life is one of thanksgiving, because it all comes to us not from our hands, but from the mighty, gracious, and merciful hand of God. And so we gather today to lift up our praises to God and to give him Thanks for his abundant mercies. And today we have 1, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to look at today. And maybe we needed to add in the prayer that I would say Thessalonians instead of Corinthians. Seems to be a problem today. But we're going to look at this passage in light of what we're doing today. Giving thanks. Celebrating Thanksgiving. And so I'm going to break the passage down into the three words that we that I mentioned to the kids when they were up here, because I believe that these three words give us a foundation for offering thanks and bringing our praise to God. And so here, once again, are the three things, three big things I want us to take away today. And the first word I want us to focus on is, as I said before, respect. We know the importance of respect in general, but it's an important part of this idea is embedded in thanksgiving, that that we understand that respect shows how we're submitting to that which God has placed above us. And so it helps us to acknowledge the truth that you and I are not the beginning and end of what matters in our lives. So we're going to think about the idea of respect. The second word that we're going to do is rejoice, and that's our response of thanksgiving for the good that we see in our lives We're to find joy in the things that God has given to us and blessed us with. We're to find joy regardless of the circumstances. And finally, I want us to think about this word faithful. And as we talk about this word, as I mentioned when I was talking with the children, we're going to be thinking about how the faithful nature of our God and Savior leads us to live faithful lives As we serve him in his world. And so, as we come to these ideas in the text, we find our first word today right away here in verse 12. And we see here that Paul calls us to respect those who labor among us and those who are over us. Now, this this might be something that we find easy to do at times and extremely difficult to do at other times and circumstances in our lives. When we're working with others and they don't upset us too much, we likely find respect an easy thing to do. Now, if someone makes our work harder, or perhaps if we are involved in some sort of mishap caused by this other person, then we might not have much respect to give to them at that time. And this is particularly true of our superiors, right? Nobody likes it when their boss doesn't know what's going on. But yet we're called to respect them. And as we think about what Paul is asking us to do, and as we think about the ideas in light of the full view of Scripture, what we understand is that we should respect all people because they are fellow image bearers of God. We respect others because God has made them and they have value because they are His creation, now of course we can respect people for more things than for more than that because of what they do we we may have extra respect for people who treat us with respect for example but we must never forget that even those people that frustrate us from time to time they are made in the image of God and this applies very deeply to the idea that I was conveying as we started out today I am not the beginning and end of the world. Life does not revolve around me. When we respect others, we are acknowledging this fact. We are realizing that God has placed them here in some way to bring glory to himself, and he will continue to do so long after you and I are gone. And our respect of others says that we respect the authority And the sovereign rule that God has over all of his creation. Really, respect is acknowledging that God is wiser than you and I can ever hope to be. And as we think about the idea of respect in this passage even further, we see the result that can come from all of this. Peace. That's an important word in this passage. When we respect others, our interactions can be free from excessive conflict. And we see in the things that Paul lists here that this doesn't mean we just let everything slide, right? Paul isn't saying, ah, just let everything go, then it'll be peaceful. No. Even though he's saying there is to be peace, that doesn't mean we don't try to deal with issues that can come up. In other words, we can respect others, but still deal with things. We look at this, and Paul's list has... The potential for some intera- interesting interactions, doesn't it? He says here, admonish the idol. Or, yeah, the idol. I D L E. Admonish the idol. Have you ever done that? How does it go over with most people when you tell them that they should get to work and work harder? Is that popular? No, it's not. Uh, usually they'll tell you about the times where you were idle, right? So these things are not always easy. It also says to encourage the faint-hearted. People who are discouraged often don't like to be encouraged, do they? But what, what does Paul say? He says to be patient with them all. And this is what Paul is calling us to do. Be patient and do good to one another. In other words, this is all about this idea of respect. And we've seen that respect is such an important part of our Christian walk because it acknowledges that God is in control, that he is the one who gives gifts, that he is the one who's over everything. And so this shows us how we can be thankful. And so we move on to the word rejoice, which is right there in the text once again as we look at verse 16 of chapter 5. Paul calls us to rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I came across a story this week that, that talks about all circumstances, and so I, I thought I'd share this short story with you today. Well, it turns out that two men were walking through a field one day when they spotted an enraged bull. Now, instantly, they, they darted towards the nearest fence, and the, the bull was coming at them. It was in hot pursuit, and it was soon apparent that they weren't going to make it to the other side of the fence. So terrified, one of the men shouted to the other, Say a prayer, John. We're in for it. Well, he answered, I can't. I've never made a public prayer in my life. But you must, said his companion. That bull is catching up with us. And so John replies, all right, I I only know one prayer, and it's one my father used to repeat at the table. O Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. Now, as that joke points out, it can be difficult to be thankful in every circumstance. Very difficult. While it's unlikely that most of us would be chased by a bull, we do encounter circumstances in our lives that bear down on us like the bull was bearing down on those men. And we don't see any good in those circumstances. And trust me, this is a feeling that I'm sure the Apostle Paul deeply understood. When he calls the church in Thessalonica to give thanks in all circumstances and to rejoice always, they know that Paul means it. Because Paul is a guy who's been persecuted for the faith. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. Yet Paul tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. And this is a hard thing to do. And it's a humbling thing when you find someone who is able to do that, isn't it? When you meet those people who are able to give thanks no matter what. Hearing someone in the midst of sickness still able to give praise to God and thank Him for His faithfulness is an amazing thing to witness. I've had conversations with people who are in prison who thank God that they got caught because they believe God used prison to save their lives and bring them to faith in Christ to save them from their sin and to save their souls. We give thanks in all circumstances because we have a deep underlying conviction at the center of the Christian life, don't we? That conviction is that God works all things together for our good and his glory. And that is a difficult thing to believe at times. Circumstances are often hard But it doesn't change the truth that our gracious and merciful God is at work to do his perfect will. And that's what Paul wants us to know. In the midst of the hard stuff, it's God's will for us, and that is tough. Yet whose wisdom are we called to trust in? Our own or the infinite wisdom of God? My view of things is short-sighted. God's view is infinitely wiser than ours, and it's because of this that we can work to give thanks in all things, and it's important that we bring this back to the gospel, because you and I would never have conceived, we would never have come up with the idea that the execution of the sinless Son of God would bring about our salvation, Yet the God who is infinitely wise did this on our behalf to pay the punishment for our sin. And we receive eternal life because he rose again. The good news of the gospel calls us to not only be thankful for what God has done for us in Christ, but it also shows us that God is working all things together for the good of his people. And so as we look at the end of this passage, that is really the point that we're going to get to here. That's the last word here that I want us to dwell with on this passage, the idea of being faithful. And so all of these attitudes that Paul is calling us to do, all of it's not on us. Paul isn't saying to you and I, do these things or else. Instead, what we see here is that they flow out of an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. And we also see, that, see this here when Paul says a blessing over the people reading this letter. Notice his benediction here. Who is the primary actor in what he is saying? It's God. It is God who is going to cause us to grow spiritually. Look at what it says here. And I want to help us appreciate it by pointing out what it does not say. After encouraging his readers to respect and rejoice, Paul doesn't say, now you get to work and sanctify yourself. Make yourselves holy. He doesn't say that if you don't do these things, then God is going to take away some of the stuff that you love. That isn't at all what Paul believes about how you and I become holy. Instead, he trusts that God himself is going to sanctify you completely. He is at work in you through his word and spirit. When you are convicted of your sin in areas of your life, that is the truth that the spirit is working in you. And when you hear the word of the gospel and it offers you comfort and forgiveness, And then when you move forward, striving to conform your life to these ideals we've talked about, we know, we know for sure that God is at work in you because you have heard the word and you've heard the message of the gospel and he's convicted us of our sin and he's comforted us. And even when you might feel like all this stuff in here isn't working, the truth is, of the promises of God, well, they don't change. He is at work through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. When you feel as though you aren't advancing, don't be discouraged. Keep hearing the word. Keep trusting that the Spirit will work in you because it isn't about your faithfulness. It's about the faithfulness of God. Look what Paul has to say at the end of what we read today. He will surely do it. God has a plan. And while we all progress in different ways, he will accomplish his goodwill. If you are in Christ, you will one day stand before your God, robed in the perfect righteousness of your Savior. That is a fact, that is a guarantee, that you can take to the bank. It is the promise of God and he will surely do it. And so in light of that truth, may you and I be a people of God who live our lives in gratitude with thanksgiving because of this work of God in our lives. May God's love for us call us to respect one another. And may the news of the gospel cause us to rejoice because we know that our God is the one who is faithful to the uttermost. He has been faithful in the past, and he will be faithful through all time to save his people. And so may we give thanks to our God for who he is and what he has done and will do. Amen.